Welcome to Startup Spotlight with the California Technology Council, where we shine a spotlight on top technology regions around the world and the companies and organizations that make them tick. Now we turn to our host in our Northern California headquarters, Matt Gardner, founder of the California Technology Council. This episode of Startup Spotlight is brought to you by Silicon Valley Bank, providing CTC members with discounts on 409A valuations. For more information, visit californiatechnology.org slash member benefits. On this episode of the Startup Spotlight, we're speaking with three regional leaders from the Detroit, Michigan community, Terry Bean, Chief Networking Officer of Motor City Connect, Josh Linkner, Chairman of Fuel Leadership, and Ned Stabler, the President and CEO of TechTown. Ned, can we start with you? Can you tell us about TechTown and what it is and how it serves the community there? Absolutely. TechTown is uh, Detroit's oldest, most established business incubator and accelerator. It's about 15 years old. And in any given year, we will help about uh, 300 businesses, both technology-based and non-technology-based, uh, to grow, to scale, to hire, uh, and to create jobs and opportunity right here in the city of Detroit. Thanks, Ned. Uh, Terry, what can you tell us about Motor City Connect? Motor City Connect was one of the first business networking groups that took a hybrid approach that brought online and real-world networking together starting back in 2006. We've touched about 20,000 people. We help companies find employees and clients. We help people find new jobs, and we really do a lot of work making our community better. So we're trying to improve the people, their business, and our community. It's kind of that triple-threat approach. Thanks, Terry. Uh, Josh, you're chairman of Fuel Leadership, but that's maybe not a, an accurate enough reflection of your entrepreneurial history. Can you tell us a little bit about your background and how you've ended up here? Sure. The fast version, uh, I've started, built, and sold four tech companies over the last 20-some years. Uh, founding partner of Detroit Venture Partners, where we are investing in early-stage tech companies in Detroit. Uh, also, have the author of two New York Times bestsellers on the topic of innovation and creativity, and uh, the new chairman of Fuel Leadership. It's our new little startup baby where we are trying to reimagine the dusty, boring, old-school world of leadership development and inject a lot more energy and fun. Thanks for that, Josh. Uh, gentlemen, let's look at the uh, Detroit regional economy, and it was uh, in, in the Rust Belt era, obviously one that was a dominant force in manufacturing, but it's going through a a tectonic shift at the moment. Uh, can we start by asking you, and, and Ned, maybe we could begin with you as, uh, as the kind of center of gravity and, and incubation there. Um, how are the traditional forces in the Detroit economy contributing to this shift? And, and for example, does all this strength and design that has existed there over decades uh, directly factor into where Detroit's headed now? I think so. I think you've got two uh, sort of principles that are at work here. One is that you know, necessity is the mother of invention, and we are uh, you know, seeing as sort of the decline of the traditional, as you said, Rust Belt economy, <clears throat> there's a necessity to do new and different things, to diversify our economy and to expand into other verticals. Uh, you couple that with the concept that, as an economic development professional, I believe in asset-based economic development. That is, figure out what you've got and how to better utilize it. And because of the legacy of uh, the auto industry here and, and manufacturing uh, more generally, we have some amazing talent in everything from design to uh, fabrication, uh, you know, to logistics, 
there are a lot of folks here that know how to make stuff, how to design it, and how to get it places. And so a lot of what you're seeing in terms of new economy stuff is based on those strengths. Josh, can we turn that question to you in maybe a slightly different perspective? You know, in Detroit Venture Partners, as an instance, are you finding that the, the traditional workforce strengths of Detroit lend to particular investment focuses for, for Detroit Venture Partners? And how does that existing workforce base suggest that there are sectors you should uh, reinforce as you're building, uh, you know, new ventures? Well, our view is that we desperately need economic diversity in this region. Uh, one of the challenges is that we were a one-industry town, and we rose and fall with the auto industry, and that obviously led to, uh, certainly contributed to many of our challenges. So in our case, we are taking the contrarian view and investing in all tech companies. So we're not, we won't invest in any, anything manufacturing-related. It's all mobile apps, social media, e-commerce, cloud computing, software. And we're doing this for a couple reasons. One is because we think that there's uh, an opportunity to attract young, bright, talented, vibrant tech workers from local regions. You know, 50% of the college graduates in the state of Michigan leave after they graduate. We're trying to get them to stay by providing a vibrant work-live-play environment in downtown Detroit and also providing the jobs that are exciting uh, for them to stay. Uh, the other thing, though, is that these are companies, and they won't all hit, but when they do hit, they are very high profile, they are very exciting, and they can serve as a beacon to others that Detroit has a new set of opportunities. So I think one of the biggest, most important things that we do in Detroit as we rise from the ashes and create an even brighter future than, one we, than we had in the past is saying, what does that new Detroit look like? And perhaps the old one was built on a particular industry, but um, with the context, within the context of the opportunities today, maybe we should be thinking about new stuff like technology, like alternative energy, like biotech, you know, on and on. So we're all about economic diversity. And by the way, I think the talent in the region is spectacular. We have incredible engineering base here. We have brilliantly creative minds who have supported the auto industry and the, in the advertising realm. So there's no shortage of talent, and uh, we're really optimistic that we can build, launch and build great tech companies here in Detroit. So, Terry, you're, you, you do a lot that's about growing people's businesses, and, and one of the things that's I guess, uh, might escape people looking at the economy there is that it wasn't just the disruption in the manufacturing that was core there. It was also the supply chain that went into everything and the effect that that had on building out clusters. So not only have you got to replace tens of thousands of manufacturing jobs, but all the inputs into production that went into them. So where are you seeing the growth now? Are there particular sectors, Terry, from your point of view, where uh, there's really exciting news developing in, in job creation and growth? You know, really the sectors is a little bit harder for me to quantify, but the, the mentality in the mindset here has had a really interesting shift. As these gentlemen have alluded to, the amount of mental horsepower it takes to drive the automotive, automotive industry is huge, right? With the engineering and the marketing and the creative and the accounting and the finance and everything that goes into it, those people have kind of spun out and done their own entrepreneurial thing. So there's a lot more small business growing. I'm actually a little bit north of the city in Oakland County, and there's tens of thousands of businesses up here that are being supported and growing, and some of them are in a service base and doing the type of work that they may have done before in the supply chain, but a lot of them are out being completely innovative because we got hit so hard. I remember being in a panel in 2008 and saying, you know, what the rest of the world doesn't recognize is as Detroit goes, so does the rest of the country. So Detroit actually hit down a little bit farther and a little bit faster than everybody else did, which means that we had to figure out how to rebound 
sooner than everybody else did. And I think you're seeing some of that if you walk through our fair city today. It's a, It's been an amazing transformation. Yeah, so let's go on a little bit further with that, Ned. Does TechTown focus on particular sectors, or are there strengths that you're playing from? And let me ask you one example specifically. This is a uh, an un, maybe an unfair setup question, but because of the engineering strength in the manufacturing, does that mean things like robotics are automatic for uh, the new Detroit? Are they automatic? I mean, certainly there are a lot of folks that are working in robotics. Um, you know, there are a lot of applications. We're fortunate here in the metro Detroit area to have a big defense industry as well with uh, TACOM and TARDEC here as well. And, uh, and the military has brought a lot of robotics up from, uh, I think, Alabama over the last few years. So there are a lot of people doing that. Um, in this this region, I will say at TechDown we're not doing a ton of robotics uh, here, um, but uh, uh, we definitely call on the sort of uh, creative spirit that's been uh, in the manufacturing industry for a long time. And I'm standing in TechDown right now where uh, the Corvette was designed uh, when it was originally the Creative Services, uh, the Chevrolet Creative Services building. Um, and, and we call on that spirit all the time uh, and, and utilize a lot of those same skill sets into new things. Um, you know, we have uh, companies here that are working on 3D printing uh, and working not only on the fabrication side of it, but also the software side. And I think that speaks to, you know, to a point Josh made that we're seeing a lot of the new technology, especially in the IT world, that intersects with what we're doing here uh, and what we have done here historically. So, you know, around transit and mobility, there's a lot of IT around. Uh, Josh mentioned biotech, but digital health in general is a big uh, theme for what we do here, you know, uh, and then more Traditionally, you'll see sort of medical device folks because if you can, you can build a carburetor. I know they don't do that anymore, but if you can build a car part, you can uh, uh, you can build a knee or a, a device of some sort uh, as well. So those are a lot of the types of companies that we're seeing here. Uh, you know, Josh, you're obviously in a role where you're mentoring lots of executives as well as investing. There can never be enough venture capital, I guess, in, in most places in the world, but how do you see the depth of capital there as one of the kind of pieces of the holy trinity between ideas, talent, and capital? Is the Detroit venture market mature? Is it still growing? Where is it from your perspective? It's definitely still growing. And I'm happy to report that we have strong progress, but we're by no means where we need to be. The thing is that the region itself has a lot of capital. That's the good news. But uh, historically, we haven't been a, 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 a risk-taking of a town so I think what we really need to do is chalk up some wins. It's one thing when, when pioneers like Dan Gilbert come out and say we're doing this, but it's another thing when people see the next Facebook or Google coming out of Detroit, Michigan. So I think what's really important for the region is that if we can land a couple wins, I think the capital will really start to follow. What we have right now is we have some very good portions of the continuum, but not a complete continuum. So I think there's some really interesting opportunities for people at the very early seed stage with, uh, with TechTown, with the new Techstars Accelerator and, and others, uh, BISDOM. There's some good, some good stuff, but not enough in the early, call it, call it Series A, Series B, like Detroit Venture Partners and a few others. I think there's a gap between there and sort of later stage growth equity that needs to be filled. So, uh, like I said, compared to where we were just a few years ago, massive progress, you know, game-changing progress, but we still have our work cut out for us. I'd like, Josh, to, I'm gonna... I'd like to add to that, if I may. Yeah, please, Terry, go ahead. I think part of the reason that exists is historically the mindset in this area has always been very, very competitive. It's been you're with one of the big three or you're against the other two, and there really weren't any other options. So 
we've moved from uh, this industrial world that was kind of isolated and insular and everyone was in a silo to now we're trying to get people to collaborate and work together and hold hands and sing kumbaya a little bit. So it's a whole different shift in how we operate. So I think as people continue to get used to the new world order in this town, those checkbooks will open because this is, this has been historically one of the top three wealthiest areas in the country. So to Josh's point, there's a lot of capital. It's just a matter of having people say, you know what, I want to put it with you and move this project forward because I see we're moving in a new direction now. Yeah, Terry, that's a really interesting point. I think the same is true in places like Miami where there's a lot of wealth, but it tends to be locked up in traditional investment vehicles and really low-risk, long-term investments. Can you talk about uh, what may be happening there to mobilize angel communities, investor networks, and and those kinds of things to work on the kind of culture of higher risk, but, uh, you know, rocket-like growth in, in tech entrepreneurship? So there's a lot of different angel groups and VC groups where people are actually getting together. There's uh, several different uh, associations, whether it's Thai. I think you have Thai out there, right, the Indus Entrepreneur we do. Association, yep. and they're doing Shark Tank-like pitches. So there's a collaborative effort right now. I remember doing a, I emceed an event for Hebrew Free Loan last year where they were doing their own little version of Shark Tank. So there is a mobilization. We have the entrepreneur spirit. We are introducing those entrepreneurs to folks that have capital and have access to it. The challenge is there's not enough opportunity to teach these young people how to pitch, how to put that business plan together. There are resources like SCORE, but if you don't know about them, then you have a hard time finding them. If you apply to BizDum, which is a great incubator, if you apply to BizDum but don't get in, you don't have access to that information is readily available. It doesn't have the same buzz when you walk down the street that uh, that happens in the valley. You know, it's not it, – there's innovation happening in little silos, but it's not up and down the street yet. But I think that's changing. It's amazing to see what's going on in the city on any given Tuesday afternoon now. Let me jump in there as well, if I can. You know, you're talking specifically yep. about the availability of risk capital to, as part of one of those, the, the legs of the stool. And, uh, you know, I think we've come a long, long way. You know, Josh mentioned that it's still emerging here, and he's absolutely right. We, uh, I always say more is better. Um, but, you know, you look back 15 years ago, 16 years ago, when you could have, you know, walked on Sand Hill Road with a, with a bad idea written on the back of a napkin and gotten a million dollars in venture capital. There were only two institutional venture funds operating really in the state of Michigan, and I think I'm probably uh, being pretty liberal with the term institutional in saying that. Today, the Michigan Venture Capital Association would tell you that there are 25 firms uh, that operate here with you know $3 billion under management. Now, I would push back and say it's probably more like 15 firms and you know a billion and a half under management, but the fact that we're having an argument with the Michigan Venture Capital Association about that tells me that uh, we've come a long way. I think Josh mentioned earlier the concept of placemaking and building the kind of place that entrepreneurs want to be. I think today that's the number one problem in, in Detroit and southeast Michigan is how do we continue to grow talent? Because what I hear from businesses is not I can't get the money I need to grow. It's that my product development cycle would be quicker if I could get the talent I needed to grow somewhere else. Josh, a year ago you published a book called The Road to Reinvention, uh, which probably is unfair to characterize as 
the result of your work last year is probably a lifetime in the making. But can you give us a, a snapshot of what's in that book and what it represents in terms of change? Sure. Uh, well, I wrote the book because uh, there's a huge problem out there in that many people think the word turnaround and reinvention are the same thing, and they're really very different. And unfortunately, many companies and people wait until they're dealing with some type of catastrophic adversity before they make any significant change. And the result of that is often devastating. You know, only 10% of turnarounds actually work. So uh, what, what the book is really about is the proactive, ongoing process of creative disruption. In other words, from the position of strength, how do you reinvent every aspect of your organization or even your own, your own personal attributes on a regular basis? I'll even tell you personally, I tried to put the Josh of six months ago out of business by reshaping and reinventing. The thing is that the rate of change that we're experiencing today is unlike anything we've ever seen in, in history of, of humanity. And so if we are so busy grasping onto the way things were, we're going to get run over by, by the progress that's happening around us. So what the book helps readers lay out is a kind of safe, thoughtful, disciplined way to reinvent various aspects of your company or your career or even your community um, while you're not taking sort of stupid risks and betting the farm. So it's kind of a systematic approach, uh, demystifying the reinvention process and allowing people to think about it as an ongoing process rather than a once-a-decade bet-the-farm initiative. So, Ned, let's connect those dots then. We're talking about uh, a talent base that might have to be fundamentally different in a generation than it was in the past decade. Uh, how is the system level thinking on the talent pipeline in the Detroit region changing now? Uh, or would you say it's already arrived at, at uh, where it needs to be? No, I, I definitely don't think it's arrived where it needs to be. I think there are a lot of people trying to tackle this problem. So on, you know, on the one hand, you hear people saying, stem, stem, stem. We gotta be training people for jobs of tomorrow, not the jobs of yesterday. Uh, I think there's certainly some truth to that, though, you know, when, when Wayne State and U of M and Michigan State uh, sort of surveyed their alumni who are entrepreneurs, you know, the number one major for those folks wasn't STEM. It was liberal, liberal arts. So apparently the liberal, liberal arts guys need to actually, uh, someone needs to actually get the technical folks uh, uh, in line and teach them how to sell things and, and make things and talk to customers and whatnot. So, um there are those folks working on that. There are certainly people working at specific skill sets, especially uh, in the IT space. A lot of folks working on coding and uh, teaching folks to, to do uh, digital design and, and web design and things like that, which are important. Um, but I don't think we've cracked it. You know, Josh mentioned earlier that uh, uh, placemaking was important, and I think that's key is that there's no magic bullet. We need to make a kind of place that... All kinds of people, diverse people, want to be here because a diverse ecosystem is one that's going to be prosperous. prosperous, And we, we need that. So we can't really focus in on one area. We kind of have to do it all. So, Terry, you mentioned that one of the functions of Motor City Connect has been to help people place in, in new jobs at times. Can you go a little bit further with what Ned's talking about there and, and talk about the things that you're seeing with uh, maybe the misfits of skills with opportunities and whether that means that there's a, a new workforce training system that's required or new curriculum at the community colleges and the universities, how's that working from your point of view? Is the system plugging people into where they're needed most? You know, it's not adjusting itself as quickly as it needs to, that's for sure. And part of it is, is the storytelling that goes around it. You know, the, the communication aspect of, hey, here's a need, 
here's what you know, we can take that skill and transfer it into this skill fairly quickly, that, that dot isn't being connected as well as it could be. Although there are programs that are happening <coughs> me, at, at the community college level um, and outside of the community college level, but they're not, uh, again, it's a matter of making sure that everybody has access to it, has the information on it, and it's being, it's being communicated. The people that I know that are struggling are still looking at the way uh, things were done. You know, the, the CNC lathe operator, it, we're having a shortage of those people because we spent so much time telling everybody that they had to go to college, they had to go get a degree because this area was changing. Well, now there's a vacuum of all those skilled tradesmen because they're retiring, they're old, and there was nobody there to fill those jobs in. What's cool, though, is uh, Merritt Duggan is doing a great job putting programs together to take inner city people and train them in skilled trades and, and give grants to it. But again, unless you're in the room hearing that conversation, we don't spread those words. And what they were talking about earlier, what Ned and Josh were talking about, um, the, the, the flight of college students because people don't still quite recognize that there's a change here. You know, we spent so much time bad-mouthing our own city and letting the rest of the country and the rest of the world bad-mouth it that that stuff sticks in your head. You know, you can't find work in Detroit. I think that narrative is changing, it's shifting, and, and it's done a great job of doing so over the last year and a half. But when you have 40 years of information being smashed into people's minds, it takes a little bit longer to, to kind of repeal that, if you will. Yeah, you've got to write a new story now, right? Exactly. So, Josh, you're investing in, in a generation of companies here. Can you talk about how you're seeing the talent flow into those companies? Are you having to import people from, you know, wherever they might be taking coding academy certi certifications, or are you finding that uh, you've got uh, a fast enough moving training uh, bench in the local community there that you can you can find people to, that are locally available to help these companies grow as soon as you need them? I think it's a mix. There is, as I mentioned earlier, wonderful talent in the region. We're, we're so fortunate to have world-class educational institutions like Wayne State, like uh, University of Michigan and Michigan State and others here in, in the region. Uh, and there's also very experienced senior talent here. Uh, I think there are some specialized areas where we're lacking talent. In fact, we launched a training academy called Grand Circus, to help uh, people learn very specific skills, such as Android app development and such, to help provide additional um, resources in the community as, as these tech companies take off. So I think it's a mixed bag. One, one nice thing that we're seeing is we're seeing people deeply committed to their hometown, which are local folks. We're seeing people training up to learn new skills, which is also generally local folks. But we're also seeing what we call boomerangs. And boomerangs are the people who have a Michigan tie. Maybe they grew up here, maybe they went to the University of Michigan, and now they, they live in Boston, but they hear what's happening in Detroit and they want to be a part of it. We're seeing this applying especially to millennials who are feeling that they want an opportunity to not only make money but make a difference. And so when they see the impact that they can make on this region, I mean, even if they're successful in Chicago, Chicago is probably going to be very similar in 10, 15 years. But if they come here in Detroit and make a uh, 
build their career. They can make a direct impact on a city that's in the midst of incredible transformation. So I think that's a very attractive thing for people. We're seeing these boomerang people who have a tie to the Detroit or, or regional community, have left, and now they're coming on home to, to, uh, to, to do great things in this area. Boy, Ned, you know, in your background, you, of course, spent some time at the Michigan Economic Development Corporation. Hearing that boomerang story has got to be like a dream come true for, for any economic developer, wouldn't you say? Well, speaking as a boomerang who uh, lived in Chicago, uh, Boston, and London for 15 years before coming home, absolutely. Uh, it's, you know, I, I think it's important that, that we think about uh, the boomerang story because I think when you try to explain what's happening here, a lot of it is that people have a tie, an emotional tie, to the place that they're from, that's home. And uh, you couple that with the fact that, generally speaking, globally, we're seeing reurbanization as people are moving into cities. And uh, what you discover is that people people want to be a part of something bigger than themselves. And, and the revitalization of a great American city that just happens to be where they're from or their family's from or they have a legacy in, that adds a lot of value. It's not about just you know having a paycheck and doing nine to five. It's about being a part of something. And there are very few places where you get to see history. You get to be a part of history being made. And Detroit right now is one of them. So we're seeing lots of people coming home and just coming to be a part of something bigger than themselves here. Terry, you're also a boomerang. Can you tell us a little bit about that story? You know, I came back here on two separate occasions. I moved to Minnesota when I was a kid. That's where we met in high school. Came back here for college, left, went to Columbus, Ohio, lived there for five and a half years, and enjoyed it enough, but wanted to be back in, in Detroit because not only is there just a ton of diversity and a lot of opportunity here and a lot of arts and a lot of culture and a lot of innovation and a lot of great leadership, we've got the Great Lakes surrounding us. Michigan is one of the coolest spots on the planet, and I don't really want to talk about it anymore because I don't want a bunch of people coming here and messing it up. <laughs> the Chamber of Commerce wouldn't have appreciated that one, Terry. <laughs> <laughs> we, 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 spent the, we spent the last weekend out on Lake Michigan, and it's just I, I was laughing because we were in the Caribbean earlier this summer, and I'm like, wow, we got this really backwards. Here we've got this gorgeous beach, beautiful body of water, absolutely no sharks and no salt, but we can only use it for about three and a half months of the year. Like, I don't have any comments on sharks for you because it wouldn't sell California very well. <laughs> right, you can't, you can't say anything about sharks. Good point. That's right. Ned, can we come back to your work at Wayne State? There, obviously, you were there at a time that Detroit was going through this uh, massive changeover. Uh, can you talk a little bit about going through that, coming out of the recession, and uh, the, the kind of work it took to get all the important partners together to, to think about what needed to happen for Detroit's future? Absolutely, and, and, and let me let me just clarify. Technically, I'm still at Wayne State. I uh, I, I wasn't content with one job, so I have two full-time jobs right now. I'm still the <laughs> vice president for economic development uh, at Wayne State University. And you know, uh, when I looked at uh, that job uh, four or five years ago and, and and decided to take it, we took a look at what was happening in and around the city and what the trajectory we were on, and tried to figure out what assets the university had to bring to bear. And uh, certainly our, our physical presence, our land uh, is important, our intellectual property and research and commercialization is important, and those are certainly things we focus on. Um, but also what I think is real important for all universities, 
uh, is the convening power. We're sort of a neutral, safe place for, for people to come together to, to solve uh, local problems. So we spent a lot of time getting groups of folks. We pursued a strategy we call the anchor strategy with uh, two big hospital systems, uh, Henry Ford Health System and the Detroit Medical Center, as well as a number of our, our foundation partners uh, who help fund some of our efforts to, to create programs to provide residential incentives. So 1,300 of our employees and their families moved into the neighborhoods. We actually paid people through the Live Midtown program uh, to move into the neighborhood. And as a result, it was successful, and, and the folks uh, downtown uh, did a similar program called Live Downtown um, that's been very successful. Uh, we tried to buy vocal. Uh, we've helped uh, move a big chunk of our discretionary spend into the city of Detroit. In fact, Wayne State purchased almost $52 million in goods and services in the city of Detroit last year, uh, which is a, a big uptick from where we were five years ago. Um, and we actually provide a lot of public safety, so it's a big issue uh, here. You know, I'm a believer that markets tend to work, and when you have real estate values uh, in the city that aren't comparable or, or you know, a fraction of what they are, just a mile or two away. You say, why is that? And, and the general, you know, markets shouldn't be that inefficient. And the answer generally was around public safety. So uh, five years ago, the university decided to change that and really invested in its police force. And we now patrol a four square mile area uh, around the university. And uh, we're now, crime has dropped 59%. Uh, over the last five years. We're safer here in Detroit than we are in Ann Arbor or East Lansing or Birmingham or Troy. The the area was just named one of the 50 safest college campuses in America. Um, and as a result, 108 businesses have opened in this neighborhood in the last three years because they feel safe. You see the market working again. So those are really, I think, very important factors uh, as to why uh, we've been able to be so successful here. Hey, this is Josh. I'll just add that one of the bigger problems that we have these days is clearing up previous perceptions. And a lot of those are, are these erroneous beliefs that, frankly, are just not true. I mean, Ned mentioned public safety. I like taking people for meetings uh, that are walking meetings. So instead of sitting in some boring conference room, I go for a walk downtown Detroit. First point I'll say, I've never, ever had a single safety issue ever. And instead what happens is I discover a new art gallery or a new restaurant that's opened up or a park that's come back to life. So I think once people see it and feel it, it's a very different story than what maybe the media has portrayed over the years. Detroit is not tires burning in the street and carjackings. Detroit is a beautiful city that's on the mend and, and, and a place for creative expression. I think that the same thing is true with respect to uh, the entrepreneurial mindset. The only thing, the only thing I think we're truly lacking versus a Silicon Valley is the way that our region looks at failure. In Silicon Valley, if you're an entrepreneur and you start a company and it doesn't work out, that's like a badge of honor. You know, a venture capitalist wants to back you because you, you learned on someone else's dime. But here in, in, region, in the region, historically anyway, uh, a failure, instead of being a badge of honor, was more like a scarlet letter. And I think that we've, we have conservative Midwestern roots, but we need to, as a community, really rally behind the entrepreneurial spirit, fully understanding that not every company is going to hit pay dirt. But if we can put our shoulder behind those entrepreneurs who are willing to put themselves out there and, and toil into the middle of the night to, to build their dream, uh, the ones that do make it are going to make it in a big enough way that it's going to help truly impact our regional uh, expansion. Yeah, Josh, I'd like to actually ask you a follow-up on that. So, you know, we've all been in big cities that are going through downturns and Los Angeles after the aerospace explosion in, in the early 90s or even Silicon Valley and the dot-com bust you know, led to scales of shutdowns that are pretty eye-popping and, and, of course, lots of empty shells of buildings. And, uh, 
you know, Detroit's a real classical city in, in terms of being vertical and concentrated. And during the downturn, of course, you had lots of vacancy. So uh, can you just talk a little bit more about the kind of physical aspects of that? You talked a little bit about walking around, meetings or management by walking around. But uh, can you talk a little bit more about the, the face of Detroit today and, and that vibrant downtown kind of feel? Yeah, well, both downtown and midtown are just incredibly vibrant right now. There's um, a beautiful architecture, award-winning architecture from the last century, and many of those buildings are still coming back to life. Many have already been restored and, and brought back and, and are, are packed to the gills with residents and, and businesses, but there's still many projects underway. So I think it's an opportunity for someone to you know, build a business here to get in on the transformation, but it's certainly not at the bottom anymore. They're, they've got some wind in their sails. Uh, the other thing that's going to be important over time is that we take the momentum that's happening currently in downtown and midtown Detroit and expand that out to the wider base of Detroit. Uh, you know, you mentioned that our city is vertical, and that is true in the core central business district. But in the 130-some square miles that the city of Detroit encompasses, a lot of that is, is quite the opposite. And we refer to many of those areas as the neighborhoods. And so we're hoping that the transformation, the great work that Ned is doing, the great work that Terry's doing, and, and many other people that are passionate uh, uh, to the cause of our revitalization, uh, eventually plays itself out in, in restoring not only those critical business districts, but they expand out into the neighborhoods and affect all the people of Detroit uh, in, in a powerful way. So just to connect that with your, your prior comment to it, one of the things that's painful about being in the culture of a startup is you might face a shutdown at some point, and in startups that's really common. You may decide that your minimally viable product isn't going to change the market or move the market enough to, to be worthwhile. It's time to shut it down and move on to the next thing. When that happens at scale, you end up in horizontal economies like the San Francisco Bay Area Peninsula with lots of empty campuses that are see-through buildings, as they say. It's not a unique feature to Detroit that you ended up with some empty real estate, uh, but you could see it maybe more a little bit uh, downtown. Can you talk about that culture of failure a little bit more, Josh, before we uh, turn the corner on that topic? It's, a, it's an important topic to recognize that failure happens every day in startups and that it can be difficult for people to move on. Yeah, you're exactly right. And if, if, if you're unwilling to accept any type of risk, you shouldn't be in the, in the world of entrepreneurship. Uh, but I just think that the, the broader business community has to support that uh, in, in the way that it's supported in, uh, in Silicon Valley. To me, if you're a 20-something person getting out of college, if you – ever have a dream, whether it's starting a company or building a restaurant or, or whatever your dream may be, if you, if you uh, forego that dream simply because you don't want to fail, simply because there's a safe alternative at a, at a big consulting firm or something, I just worry that you're going to be like so many of the people that look back 30 years later filled with regret. And to me, if you start out early and take a risk, do something that's bold and, and unproven, either way you win. Either the idea works and you get to drive your, whichever color Ferrari you want that day, or the idea tanks, but you're a better person as a result of it. The learning and the experience that you've, you've achieved over the last couple of years, now you're probably better equipped to handle the real world anyway. So I think that in the same way that that's the message I would send to young college grads, I think that's the message that we need to send to our broader Detroit community, that if we're going to uh, venture out and, and, and truly seize our potential, we're going to need to accept some risk and some failure along the journey. Terry, uh, your mom told me that on the day you were born, you asked the doctor if he had a business card on him. You were a born networker. Uh, how are you seeing your efforts in, in keeping Detroit connected in new ways and, and inventing new ways for people to, to come together, affecting the culture of uh, the startup community and, uh, and the technology uh, kind of startup sector that you need to see grow? 
One of the key elements I train people on and I write about in my book and, and really just try and give away is this idea that we have to ask for help. Historically, the idea of asking for help has been shunned, especially if you're a 45, 65-year-old man, it's a sign of weakness, right? you got to pull, pull yourself up by the bootstraps, do your thing, get out there and get going. Well, it's a big world, and we've all got a lot to do, and we actually get it done far more effectively together. So channeling these ideas of how to ask for assistance and getting really, really clear on not only what we're trying to do, but how we're going to do it and who we need to be along on our side really helps get us closer to where we need to be. So echoing that message and getting people connected in a, in a meaningful way where they're actually concerned about the well-being of their neighbor, that information, that idea is what's going what's gonna to continue to change this community. And, and, it, and it's got to become pervasive throughout the city, throughout the counties, and, and throughout our region. Um, and that can, can change us. We've got we to gotta just work together and continue to get better at doing that. And that involves asking for help sometimes and admitting that you're not going to be able to just do it on your own. Terry, you're doing that, and you're actually living what you're saying by helping put on TEDx Detroit. Can you tell us a little bit about what's coming up and what people are going to see in that experience? Wow, man. TEDx Detroit's going to be entering its seventh year. And if I'm not mistaken, Josh was uh, graced on our stage in our third year, and, and he just delivered a great presentation, as always. But TED's about the opportunity to share big ideas. It's really, if you had one thing, one thought that could change the world, what would it possibly be? Here's six to 10 minutes to go and change the world. Go do it. So for us here in Detroit, you know, when we started in 2009, the narrative about Detroit was very, very different. It was kind of bleak times here. It was almost dark. And I remember, I remember in 2010, Dan Gilbert stood on the TEDx Detroit stage and said, you guys are all thinking too small. Skyscrapers are cheap. And, I mean, it just peeled my face back because I was like, holy cow, you're right. I've never once thought about buying a skyscraper. And, and he basically pointed and said, this is what I'm doing. And he's done it. And over the last five years, it's continued to be amazing. But the show this year is going to be filled with tremendous speakers, whether they're scientists or educators or innovators or thought leaders um, or just actual business people. We always have a couple of guys that are doing some soft skills and telling their story, too. We'll have great music, and we'll have TEDx Labs, which is in a really interactive go-touch-and-feel-and-play-with-different-things display. Um, we're going to do it at the historic Fox Theater, which is the second-largest theater in the entire country. A lot of people wouldn't think that. We have, we have almost as many seats as they do in New York for theater here in the Detroit area. It's just a fantastic place. Um, and it's an exciting day, and I'm really looking forward to it. It takes place on October 8th, so thank you for asking. So I've got one last question for each of you, and, and Terry, we'll, we'll start with you. We, we love to ask our guests to take on a special power for a minute. I'm going to give you a time machine. If you could get in that time machine and go back in time, and you only had 10 seconds to tell yourself something about the journey you're about to embark upon, Terry, as a community leader, uh, here's your time machine. What would you go back and tell yourself? I would tell myself to focus more on bringing uh, racial tensions to an end. 
I would work very, very hard on those conversations because I think if we brought people together at that level, uh, we would be doing amazing, amazing things. Thanks for that, Terry. Uh, Josh, here's your time machine. What would you go back and tell yourself? I think that the major breakthroughs in, in business and life happen in the context of uncertainty and often some, some challenges and setbacks. So uh, progress is rarely in a straight line. And so when you're in the, the pit of despair and those moments where you're feeling the, 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 the grimmest and, and, and the most concerned, the most, most apt to close up and fold up your tent, I think that's the time where the fortitude comes in. And I think the, uh, the grit, tenacity, and, and, and resolve of Detroiters uh, was really what put us on the map in the first place. And I think ultimately those characteristics will allow us to, uh, to move forward. Uh, Ned, you've got a time machine. What would you go back and tell yourself? Well, first of, all, first of all, I will definitely go back and uh, buy some of those skyscrapers before Dan Gilbert does. Uh, that's, that's just an easy one. Um, but honestly, I don't think I go back and change much of anything at all. Uh, I think it's a pretty amazing time to be uh, working in Detroit and uh, in the city I was born and raised in. And uh, I'm pretty excited to uh, be seeing it at a time when it's uh, – making a really historic comeback. And uh, so I would tell myself, keep at it. Think good things are going to happen. Just uh, stay on the course. Ned Stabler, Josh Linkner, and Terry Bean, three gentlemen at the heart of reimagining Detroit. Gentlemen, thank you for your time. Thank you. Thank you. Man. Thank you very much. Startup Spotlight is produced in Northern California by the California Technology Council. 